In Grandfather We Trust, an excerpt from the book Tales of What May Come by J.L. Warnock. Can Dan? The youngster leaps to his feet, quickly touching his left hand to his forehead in a sign of respect. Yes, Grandfather? This is the first time the Grandfather has ever addressed him directly. He stands silent, waiting to hear what he might say to him. He stares at the grandfather's lips, fearful to look into the eyes of so important a man. Walk with me. Yes, grandfather. The old man places his gnarled left hand on the child's shoulder to guide him while wielding his heavy staff with his right. The staff is a thing of awe and mystery to the children of the village. Half again taller than the grandfather himself, it is made of dense, dark wood, the source of which is known only to the grandfather. Portions of the staff are wrapped with vines that, over the years, have been stained with the livers of many rabbits and sealed with the fat of many deer. Strange and magical talismans hang on slender strips of sinew from the crest of the grandfather's staff. It is both a badge of office and deadly instrument of justice when the need arises. It is said that once, many years ago, a man found to be guilty of a terrible crime was killed with a single blow from the grandfather's staff. Justice is swift and severe among the people of the village. As the two move away from the cooking fire, Tila, Kendan's mother, smiles. The grandfather has come at last for her youngest son. He will place the child's feet upon the road to manhood. Kendan is no longer hers alone. He will learn things beyond her knowing as he grows into the world of men. Tila hopes that this son will grow to be a strong, reverent, dutiful man as his brother had before him. Torin is a warrior now, one of the bravest hunters in the village. Someday he will choose a mate to do the women's chores at their cooking fire and bear him sons. In Tila's own household, Mara, and little Mira are a help, of course, but Mara's mind is too often occupied with thoughts of warriors and marriage, and little Mira is still too young to be much more than an enthusiastic, well-meaning hindrance. The old man and the young child leave the circle of cooking fires that form the center of the village. In silence, they pass along the edge of the nearly dry lake. Rain must come soon, or famine and death will surely follow. The grandfather has seen it many times during his long life. Kendan knows that something important is happening, but he does not know what it is. He has seen other children, older than himself, leave the fire circle with the grandfather. From that day on, they have been different in some way, more confident in possession of some quality for which Kendan has no words. 
You have seen nearly a pair of hands of summers now, haven't you, Kendan? Yes, Grandfather, that's what my mother tells me. Tila is a good woman, but you are not a girl child to be raised by women. You are now to become a boy, Kendan, and you must be raised to be a man. This day, this very moment, you take the first step toward becoming a man as you walk with me. The old man waits, walking on in silence. Let him wonder about it, the grandfather thinks. Those who are hungry for knowledge learn best. What step am I taking, grandfather? The grandfather smiles. He did not hesitate overly long as a timid child might, nor did he thoughtlessly blurt out his question. He formed his question well and asked with respect and reverence. It is a good sign. This child may make a fine man some day. He may even be the man to become the grandfather, the most respected member of the community. The burdens of the grandfather are heavy, and once taken up, they cannot be put aside even for a moment unless the council of elders agrees to choose a new grandfather for the village. The old man longs for that day. Today, you will take a step away from your mother. She can teach you no more about the world of men. From this day, you will call her Tila. Kendon is stunned. Will she no longer be my mother, grandfather? Tila will always be your mother, and she will always deserve your respect. Remember that, Kendon. You will show her the respect due the person who gave you life and cared for you before you could care for yourself. In taking this first step, you declare to the village that you now travel the road to manhood. They walk on, passing fields and flocks. Each person they meet reverently, touching a hand to his or her forehead as the grandfather passes each calling congratulations to Kendan on beginning the road to manhood. At last they reached the Great Wall, a wooden palisade around all the territory claimed by the village. The grandfather sits back against the wall and motions Kendan to sit before him. This is the limit of a boy's world. He waves casually, indicating the barrier extending in both directions behind him. Nothing exists beyond this wall that is suitable for a boy's eyes. Even the warrior, when he hunts in the forest, must be wary of his very soul if he gives up the safety of this wall encircling our refuge. Beyond is the forest, the realm of animals for our cooking fires. Beyond that, the realm of the unliving, whose fearsome predations nearly brought an end to all people. Many generations ago, the people outside this wall surrendered their minds, their memories, their very souls to the unliving. Only a few of us refused their call. We were chosen by the great-grandfather. They touched their foreheads in fearful respect. 
were chosen by him to gather here and to shut out the destruction wreaked upon the people by the great-grandfather. Another touch. For their grievous sins. He lowers his staff, bringing the end of it close to the boy's face. That is your first lesson in what a man must know. He shakes the staff, and several shiny round objects jangle at the end of a strand. They are of a substance unknown to the child. These four holy relics are the only metal objects Kendan has ever seen, and when struck by the sun, they seem to glow with a strange power all their own. Regard these well, young Kendan. These are the sacred discs passed down from the great-grandfather. They both touch their foreheads at the mention of the most holy of beings, to the first-grandfather of our people in ages past. Kendan stares in wonder at the four religious relics. They spin and clatter together, three circles that glow like the midday sun itself, and a fourth, the color of sunset. These are part of the grandfather's power. Kendan has never been this close to them before. Children of the village keep a cautious distance between themselves and the grandfather, averting their gaze as their parents taught them from infancy. Never would they have the temerity to stare at the great man or the staff of power he carries. Each of the sacred discs represents one of the aspects of manhood. Today you will learn the duties of the boy. He lays the staff across his folded legs and lifts the smallest of the discs. Take it in your hand. Place its image in your mind as I give you the first secrets of manhood. Kendan's hands tremble with religious ecstasy as he beholds the image on the disc. The grandfather straightens his back, raising his face to the sky. Closing his eyes, he recites from memory, Behold the boy, child no more, but not yet man. His hair is short. He cannot grow a beard. The ear is the center of his learning. Listening is the most important duty of the boy. He must listen to his mother, do as she requests, and show respect for her. He must listen to his father and learn the ways of a parent, husband, and farmer. He must listen when his older brothers speak so that he may begin to learn the ways of the warrior he will someday become. The grandfather opens his eyes and looks deeply into Kendan's enraptured face. He must listen to the grandfather so that he will know the laws of the Manitan people. The grandfather smiles. Tell me, Kendan, what is the duty of a boy? He speaks without hesitation. A boy's duty is to listen, Grandfather, so that he can learn the ways of our people. Another smile from the deeply lined face of the Grandfather. Good. Now, turn around and sit here close in front of me. It is time to mark you as a boy. Kendan moves quickly to comply. 
The grandfather gathers the youngster's long blonde hair in his fist and takes a razor-sharp stone knife from the pouch suspended around his neck. This is the same perfectly napped stone knife he uses in the cutting ceremony, binding a man and woman in marriage by the mixing of their blood. The knife slashes and slashes again as Kendan feels his hair fall away. His hair is short, intones the grandfather. He cannot grow a beard. His ears are open. Face me, boy of the Manitan. Kendan turns to see the grandfather holding the long, shining strands of his hair. He reaches up. His hair is cropped close to his head, his ears uncovered. He nods. My ears are open, grandfather. I will listen. The grandfather's eyes sparkle as he smiles. A wise boy may become a wise man. Turn the disc over. Tell me what you see. Kendan does as he is told. I see a fire stick, grandfather, and leaves. What do these things mean? These images have many meanings. First, the fire and fuel. It is the boy's duty to tend the family fire, to gather fuel to keep it alive. In that way, his family will have light in the dark, heat in the cold, and a way to cook. The leaves show that another of the boy's duties is to help plant and tend and gather food and to care for the animals that the great-grandfather provides for his people. Again, the old man and the boy touch their foreheads at the mention of the holy name. What are the little symbols around the edge, grandfather? The old man marvels at the keenness of Kendan's mind and his poise. Never before has a boy asked him this question. All have simply accepted the words of the grandfather in worshipful silence. Kendan shows hunger for knowledge. They are a mystery. Some grandfathers have said that they are symbols in the language of the ancients, perhaps even the name of the great-grandfather himself. They make the sign of pious respect. Those same symbols appear on each of the holy discs, so they may be a sacred incantation. Look closely. You will see smaller symbols near the boy's chin. I believe they represent a prayer. I will show you why. He captures another of the jangling discs and brings it before Kendan's worshipful eyes. This disc is made of the same shining material, but is larger. The image on the disc is a man, much older than a boy, with long hair tied back. The man faces the same way as the boy, and above his head are the symbols that Kendan already believes to represent the holy name of the great-grandfather. Below the chin are the small symbols of the prayer. Grandfather, is this the boy grown up? It may be, young Kendan. This is a grandfather. Any boy may grow to become the grandfather if he is wise and righteous. Tell me what you see. The young boy examines the disc. His hair is long 
and tied back, but he has no beard. I see part of his ear. He looks up at the old man. Like you, grandfather. The grandfather nods. Continue. His neck is strong with muscles. He is old because some of his hair is missing in front, like the old men in the village. This observation brings another nod of the grandfather's head. He is facing the same way as the boy, and the same symbols and the prayer are on the disc. Wait! He brings the two discs close together. Look, grandfather! Both discs have little grooves around the edges, see? They fit together and roll around each other. What does it mean? It means you are a boy with a keen eye and a quick mind. You have seen for yourself all the things I was to show you this day. Do you understand what you have seen? No, grandfather. You told me he is a grandfather, and I can see that he is old and strong. His hair is like yours, but I do not know why. Will you explain it to me, grandfather? Yes, Kendan, boy of the Manitan. I will explain it to you, but not now. It is not yet time for you to know. The old man rises from his seat against the village wall. Come, it is time to return to the fire circle. You have learned much this day, and you will learn more. Tonight, your mother will burn your child's hair in her cooking fire to show that her son is now a boy. Tomorrow, you will help your father in the fields. I will come again to teach you when I see that you are ready. Until that time, think about what you have learned. At the evening meal, Tila stands before the family fire and drops in a handful of long blonde hair. The acrid smell spreads around the fire circle, and as it does, Villagers at neighboring fires look toward Kendan, formally inclining their heads in silent recognition of his change in status. He is a boy now, not merely a child. As a boy of the Manitan people, he will be accorded a measure of respect. True, he is on the lowest rung of the tribal adult hierarchy, but he is no longer a child nearly invisible to all save his own family. Kendan returns the nods of the villagers, and his heart swells with pride. His elder sister, Mira, brings him the first bowl of the evening's thick soup. Today you have become a boy, my brother. She places the wooden bowl in his hands, and he inhales the aroma of rabbit, carrot, and wild onion. It is his favorite. He turns to his mother. Thank you, Mother... Tila. He catches himself in time and avoids the social gaffe, but it feels strange to call his mother by name the way other villagers do. His mother smiles with glistening eyes. You are welcome, Kendan, my son, boy of the Manitan. His former playmates stare as he passes by them the next morning. Kendan is a child no longer. 
He walks beside his father in the early sunlight. They leave the village clearing, which until yesterday had been the whole of his world. Dolan leads his son along a well-worn pathway through the trees, emerging at the village farm plots. Here, Dolan and Kendan will work side by side as the boy learns the art and responsibility of farming. Here, in time, he will learn to dig a straight furrow with a fire-hardened digging stick. He will learn to mix the rotting leaves with the latrine soil and manure gathered from the animal's night pen. He will carry it from the village and learn how to spread it on the field to nourish the crops. Most importantly, as far as his father's concerned, Kendan will carry the sheepskin bags of water from the village lake to the farm plot. Dolan knows his son will tire of carrying water long before the day is done. But that is the first job a boy must learn. A farmer's work is hard and long. Later, he will come to see the importance of farming. Without the harvest, the people will starve during the winter. Without the crop, there can be no harvest. Without the water, boys, the sun will parch the young plants and there will be no crop. Without the dung, boys, the exhausted soil will not support the crop. Without the weeding, boys, the crop will be choked and fail. All must work together or the village will die. Kendan will learn all these things in time. Dolan remembers when his father, Bodan, taught him the lessons of the farmer. He can still picture in his mind the grandfather's shining disc with the image of the farmer, larger and heavier than the boy, as a man is larger and heavier than a boy. The farmer's hair is long, but he ties it back so that he can cut it with a single stroke of his stone knife and return to the ranks of the warrior if the village comes under attack. All these things and more will Kendan learn when the time is right. Now he only needs to listen to his father and do what his father tells him to do. Obedience is also a lesson that Kendan must learn along the road to manhood. By mid-morning, Kendan begins to wonder if his change in status is worth the work required to earn it. The water bag is heavy, and the walk is long. Being a boy is not as much fun as being a child, and watering plants does not feel very important. The cool shade near the edge of the plot seems much more inviting. Kendan considers slipping away until he notices the grandfather watching him from the shadows. Time passes. Kendan grows strong from his work as a farmer. Kendan has seen another hand of summers now, and the grandfather has yet to call him from the village fire circle. Surely he is ready to become a warrior. The labors of a farmer have no interest for him. Worse for Kendan even than carrying the night soil, carrying the water bags, or toiling in the fields is tending the sheep. The tedium of herding them to pasture each morning and returning them to their night pen each evening gnaws at his need to learn to explore.
The flock grazes near the high palisade that encircles the village. What is out there? His mind constantly churns with the need to know. This is the limit of a boy's world, the grandfather had said. Kendan longs to go beyond. When he becomes a warrior, he will pass through the gate with other warriors and enter the forest to hunt for deer and dog, beaver and fox, and even the wolf himself. Wiliest and wickedest of creatures, the skin of a wolf is the most sought pelt. The warrior who can wear the wolf pelt with the wolf head perched atop his own is a man admired by all. When such a man speaks, the villagers hear. At village council meetings, he is second only to the grandfather himself. Yet Kendan is still a boy, learning to be a farmer and yearning to be more. His father knows each ram, each ewe, and each lamb by sight, and can tell if any is missing at the end of the day. Kendan cannot tell one ewe from another, cannot distinguish any difference between the scampering lambs. He knows the rams. There are only two, and one has a twisted horn. Be sure they all are in the pen before you return to the fire circle, his father tells him each day. Too many days Kendan fails to return the whole flock to its pen and must face his father's ire. Then the boy must go back to the pasture in the fading light to find the missing lamb that scampered away playing foolishly. Kendan has put much thought into his problem. At first, like his father, he tried to learn each member of the flock by sight or behavior as his father instructed. He failed and received a scolding for his failure. It is the duty of a boy to learn the ways of a farmer, his father chides. Kendan swears to himself that he will never overlook a member of the flock again. He fails again. Kendan knows he must find a way to account for all the sheep so that the grandfather will see that he is ready to pass through the gate as a warrior. He tries using his fingers to tally the sheep, but there are too many. He tries placing a pebble in his pouch for each sheep that passes out of the pen in the morning and removing a pebble from the pouch as each enters the night pen. It helps, but it is cumbersome and sometimes losing a pebble during the day or dropping one as the flock streams past results in the shame of his father's rebuke. It takes many days' work in private, concealing his labor even from his father, before Kendan is sure he can return the whole flock every evening without error. First one day, then as many as the fingers on one hand, then as many as two hands go by without losing a single member of the flock. His father praises him for his ability, saying that Kendan has at last become a farmer. Finally, one evening, Kendan sees Dolan in serious conversation with the grandfather. Perhaps they talk of me, he thinks, and sends a silent prayer to the great-grandfather that it is so. The next day, as the evening sun touches the treetops, 
The people of the village gather in a dreadful, silent circle around the fire pit of decisions. Here the grandfather will settle a dispute between two villagers. All wait in silence, even the children, knowing the fearful solemnity of such a gathering. A law may have been broken. The laws of the village are fixed and absolute. The grandfather's decisions are swift and severe. Markan and Sodan stand before the grandfather's raised seat. Sodan, the grandfather intones, you are here before the fire pit because Markan has made a claim that you stole one of his knives. We will speak of this. He turns to Markan. This is a serious claim. Only once before in my memory has there been a theft among our people. It cannot be tolerated. False accusation is likewise intolerable. Knowing these things, do you wish to proceed? Markan looks first at Sodan, then at the faces gathered around the fire pit, and finally back at the grandfather. Yes! In the silent circle, villagers gasp. Speak! The grandfather's voice has the power of generations of his kind, causing the people to shudder. Markan begins. A pair of sons ago, I went to the lake to bathe. I left my clothes and my pouch on a rock near the shore. When I finished, I turned and saw Sodan walking away. Later, I found that my knife was no longer in my pouch. Murmuring ripples around the circle. The grandfather waits quietly for order among the crowd. Seeing his eyes upon them, the circle returns to respectful silence. You are heard, the grandfather says and waves him away. Sodan, the quivering man steps forward. Speak. In a voice so weak that it is nearly hidden in the crackling of the fire, Sodan begins. I had lost my knife in the garden. I searched for it but could not find it. Everyone knows that Markan is the best flintknapper in the village. He could easily make a new knife, and I had none. He falls silent. The grandfather's voice is terrible to hear. Did you steal? Eyes downcast, Sodan nods. You must say it! It is a crashing of thunder from the grandfather's lips. The dread in Sodan's voice is plain, even to the smallest child. Yes, grandfather, I stole. In the same terror-inducing voice, the grandfather proclaims, These are our laws. A dog may steal a bit of meat from a cooking fire. For it, he will be beaten, so that he learns not to do it again. A child in innocence may take that which is not his. The child will be scolded and made to return that which he stole. A boy may steal. He will be brought before the fire pit and shunned for all for a length of time. These are our laws. The villagers chant in reply, These are our laws. Again the grandfather addresses the trembling man. 
Turn your face from me, thief. Face the people of this village. Sodan's knees shake as he turns. He knows he must receive a terrible punishment. The grandfather passes judgment. This is not a dog to be beaten. This is not a child to be scolded. This is not a boy to be shunned. This is an animal which has come into our village and shown that it cannot be allowed to live among the Manitan people. Then with terrifying swiftness and power, the grandfather swings the massive butt-end of his staff. The villagers gasp at the sound of Sodan's skull fracturing under the force of the impact. His body, thrown to the ground by the force of the grandfather's blow, twitches twice and falls still. No child of this village will ever again carry the name of Sodan. His presence among us will be erased from our minds. His name will never hence be spoken by our people. He looks down at the crumpled form on the ground and pronounces his final judgment. Hunting has been good. The village has no need of this tainted meat. The warriors will butcher this animal, and the farmers will mix the meat with their dung to nourish the fields. The bones will be given to the dogs. In this way, some good will come of this animal. Another month of toil in the fields passes for Kendan. He has carried water. He has pulled weeds. He has spread the fearful dung containing the rotting meat of the unnamed animal, and he has tended the hated sheep. Sweating, bent over in the sun's punishing glare, Kendan finally hears the grandfather's voice. Kendan, farmer of the Manitan people, walk with me. Together they walk the path to the palisade surrounding the village. Again, the grandfather sits against the rough wooden wall. Again, Kendan sits in attentive silence before the powerful leader of the village. What have you learned? Kendan begins the litany he has rehearsed nearly every day for summers on end. I have learned the ways of a farmer, grandfather. Tell me. The way of the farmer is hard. He must sow his seed when the last frost is gone. He must spread dung upon the field to make the soil rich for the seed. He must tend his young seedlings, carrying water when there is no rain, and digging drainage troughs when there is too much. He must tend the crop, pulling the weeds that might steal the water and choke the young plants. He must protect his crop from birds and animals that might harm or steal it. He must harvest with care, putting aside enough seed for the next year's planting. He must share his crop with the village, because it is his duty. Very good. He is wise beyond his years. He is respectful. He's trustworthy. Surely this farmer may one day take my place and allow me to lay down my burden. The grandfather thinks. You have learned much of the ways of the farmer. 
Tell me more. Kendan sits for a moment, collecting his thoughts. Finally, he speaks. The farmer must tend the animals that the great-grandfather has given us. They both touch their foreheads in reverence. He must feed them and give them water, tend to their needs and comfort. He must help with the birthing of new animals. He must keep them safe both day and night. He must deliver them to the hunters when hunting is poor and the village is in need of their meat. It is the farmer's duty to do these things. The old man nods in agreement and pleasure. Yes, he thinks, I have chosen well. Now he must only learn the ways of the warrior. Then I will speak to the council. Look upon this sacred circle, Kandan. It is the image of the warrior. The old man offers the end of his staff to the youngster. Tell me what you see. Kendan examines the reddish, blood-colored disc. The man is young, but not a boy. He has a beard. His hair is short. Grandfather, he faces the other way. He's not like the boy or the farmer. He's not like the grandfather. Why does he face away? The grandfather smiles with pleasure at the boy's observation. Yes, Kendan, farmer of the Manitan, he faces away. He is a warrior. Tell me why he faces away. Kendan concentrates, looking at the image. He knows that much depends on his answer. He is a warrior and a hunter. He faces away. Perhaps he's looking for game. Perhaps he's looking for enemies. He looks away to protect his people from harm. Is that right, Grandfather? Yes, Kendan. Turn it over and tell me what you see. The back of the disc is a mystery until Kendan brings it close to his eye. I see the wall of a village, Grandfather. In the center is a man. A warrior is standing in an opening. That must be this gate. He points over the Grandfather's shoulder. He stands in the gate. Is that to keep enemies out, Grandfather? Does he protect us from the unliving? Yes, Kendan, farmer of the Manitan. Those are the duties of the warrior. Now you are ready to learn the skills of the warrior. Tomorrow you will sit with the warriors at the fire circle. You will go with them and learn their ways. You will learn to make spears, arrows, and knives. You will learn to track and hunt. You will learn to protect your village from their enemies and from the unliving. The grandfather stands, and Kendan scrambles to his feet. Kendan, farmer of the Manitan people, tomorrow you will pass through the gate and hunt in the wilderness beyond. The grandfather reaches into his pouch. He removes a small bundle wrapped in soft chamois. Take this, warrior, so that your hunts may be successful and that you may protect your people. He hands Kendan the bundle. Kendan carefully, reverently unwraps a glittering stone blade. It is black and shines like rippling water under a summer sun. 
At the edges, light shines through it. Kendan thumbs the edge. It is sharp beyond anything in his experience. Never has he seen such a blade. This is for me, grandfather? The old man nods. I have kept this blade for many years, waiting for the right person. You are that person, Kendan. I have seen that you are wise in the ways of our people. On the walk back to the village, the old man and the young warrior speak almost as friends, almost as equals. Tell me, young warrior, how did you finally learn to tell the sheep apart, to know when you had gathered them all? Your father and I spoke of your problem many times. It was not easy, grandfather. I tried many ways, but always failed. Then one night, in a dream, the answer came to me. He reaches into his pouch and draws out a small, square, wooden frame. It is carefully made with neat corners, laced firm with fat-soaked vine. Two strips of animal sinew stretch tightly across the frame. Well-made, pierced beads perch on each strip, clacking as they collide. The grandfather looks at it, puzzled. Is this some rattle or instrument for song that you have trained the sheep to follow? No, grandfather! Kendan nearly laughs with pleasure at the older man's inability to understand his device. I use it to count, grandfather, to count beyond two hands. Watch! He shakes all the beads to one side of the frame. He slides one bead across the stretched sinew. That is one sheep. He slides another. That is one sheep. He continues until all five beads have traveled the length of the stiff cord. Now there is one hand of sheep. He slides a bead on the lower cord across and returns the five to their starting position. He points to the lower bead. This bead is one hand of sheep, grandfather. I don't have to remember any more. This does it for me, he proclaims. Engrossed in his demonstration, he does not notice the horror building in the grandfather's eyes. Now I begin again, he slides another bead. And I don't have to know the sheep. They are just beads to me. Kendan hears the grunt and the swish and turns his head barely in time to see the look of hatred and revulsion on the grandfather's face before the heavy staff smashes into the side of his head. The gate opens, and three men exit, the older one holding his staff before him, leading. He is followed by two warriors. A burden sways between them. Leave it here for the wolves, the old man commands. Then go to the lake and wash yourselves well. I must go on alone. The old man plods through the forest, on a trail known only to those of his kind. At the far edge of the known world of the Manitan people, he looks out at the devastation beyond. Great piles of stone and materials he has no words for stretch in every direction. He knows that this is the land of the unliving. He knows that once, in a time lost in memory, to all but the grandfathers, 
These piles of rubble had been houses that taunted the sky itself, challenging the supremacy of the great-grandfather. People lived here, wicked people. They created the unliving, and in their sloth they gave all their knowledge, all their memories into the keeping of their creations. When the unliving had learned enough, they turned on their creators. Great battles were fought, great destruction wrought, and the people vanished, all but the Manitan. The Manitan people survived, Long before the battles, long before the carnage and decay, they turned their backs on the unliving, who, over the course of more time than even the grandfathers could reckon, finally fell silent. The Manitan lived because they accepted the blessings and burdens of living as given by the great-grandfather, and passed that acceptance on to their children. The Manitan lived by their own wits and labor, not those of unliving creations that would steal away their souls. But the grandfathers were wise. They knew the seeds of the evil unliving still existed, even in the Manitan. It was the sworn duty of each grandfather over the ages to stamp out without hesitation any sign that the unliving had returned. Through the rubble of ages past, through the trees standing and fallen, through twisting vines that catch at his feet, past the grasses and even the wild flowers growing through the gaps in the wide path he now follows, the grandfather trudges to perform a sacred duty. All the way, the small frame with rattling beads hangs on the bloody end of the grandfather's staff. His ancient arms ache with the effort, but he resolutely holds the staff out so that the hated, fearful object is as far away as possible. Far enough, he hopes, that he will not be tainted by it. Somehow the seed of the unliving had sprouted in Kendan, the brightest of his generation, the best hope of the old man for a release from his crushing responsibilities. Kendan, who seemed so devout, the perfect one to be appointed grandfather when his training ended and his time was right. Kendan, whom the grandfather loved above all others, gone. At last he reaches the shore of the wide eastern river, one of two water barriers between the Manitan and the wickedness that lies beyond their small world. Across this water, the grandfather can see more of the rubble from the great destruction. The water before him flows out into a larger water that cannot be spanned by the human eye. He knows this. It was part of his training to see it and taste the salt of countless tears it contains, as it would have been part of Kendan's grooming to take his place as grandfather to his village. The grandfather stretches his staff out over the swirling, churning, foul brown water and shakes it. Kendan's frame, proof of his possession by the unliving, slaps the surface of the water and disappears. 
The grandfather prays that it has not sunk to the bottom quickly to possibly return and defile his people with its wickedness. Two staff lengths away, the frame surfaces. The grandfather stands watching it travel with the current until he can see it no more. He dips his staff into the muddy water, swirling it to wash away the blood. Then he weeps.